I'm Gab. He's Don Hutchinson filling in for Jules, who's overwatching some NBA Is he? in Paris, as you I've do. I've seen that. I've seen that Priority. on his Instagram, yeah. Priorities, man. But um, uh, we've got a ton to get through on this show because mm-hmm. there's a lot of midweek action going. There's Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, uh, debut in just a few hours. You're excited, yeah, right? Loving that. Uh, there's the Italian Super Cup. Milan uh, getting the hurt laid Thrashed. on them by Inter. Yeah, thrashing, hiding. Uh, can of whoop ass, I think, is the uh, technical <laughs> term. But I want to start with Manchester United because it won nine games in a row. They yeah. came within a Michael Olise free kick last night of making it 10 wins yes. in a row. Um, how'd they look? All right. I so think you're not did. one of those people who says, oh, look, they couldn't see out the game. Yeah. They couldn't close it out. No, no okay, there's good. context behind every single game. They should have had a stonewall penalty to make it 2-0. That's the game finished. Then they get done by a worldy free kick in the last seconds of the game. Um, I'm not one of these that look too deep into a match without looking at the context and think, oh, they've bottled it. They should have won three points. That's that's took them out the uh, title race. It's a good point away from home. Should have been three. We'll move on to the next one. They were also playing with somebody up front who had been at the club for all of 40 hours yeah. uh, in, in Veghorst. And that's got to affect you as well because Vigor's movement up front because yeah. he's a different player and is going to necessarily be different from that of Martial, Martial or Rashford or whoever plays yeah. up front before. Well, if you think of Martial on one side and Anthony on the other, playing with a brand new signing who's different, all of a sudden they've got to, they've got to temper or they've got to change the way they play. They've got to try and learn very quickly what his strengths and weaknesses are. So Rashford would have been guessing, is he a good link man? Do I try and get to the byline and put crosses in for him because of his height? So it changes the dynamics of the game. But I thought he and I thought Manu played quite well. Um, I want to get into what United have been doing right. Um, and I think we need to show Eric Ten Hag some love. Definitely. Um, but I also kind of wanted to underscore how psychologically uh, the impact that this can have in the sense that but for this game last night, two things happened which mm-hmm. could have a huge impact, right? Yeah. So the Elisa free kick means two points dropped that they would have otherwise had. Yeah. The Casemiro yellow, which is going to be suspended for the game. Um, which was like the commentators were assuming last night. It was like the worst thing that's ever happened in football. Yeah. They were like, oh, no. <laughs> okay. But it does change the narrative yeah. that if you're Ten Hag, you can't go into training this morning and tell them, guys, think of the start of the season. Yeah. And now think of the fact that come Sunday night, we yep. can be within two points, I think it is, of the top of the table. Yeah. Now, they won't be within two points of the top of the table. No. Nope. And without Casemiro, you might say they're not going to be favorites. Well, they wouldn't have been favorites probably anyway against no. Arsenal. But their oh, chances of beating Arsenal are, are a lot less. So oh, it's a big blow. As coaches, you always have to adjust to the situation. Well, you've got to try and find the positive. And he's already done that last night, didn't he? He said, we beat them without Casemiro at the start of the season. We can do it again. So you've got to try and find the positive. You're not going to say, oh my God, we've, got, we've not got Casemiro. We've only got Fred. We've got no chance. You're going to, you're going to try and spin the positives. And you're going to have to try and tweak something. You might go an extra midfield play. You might, your tactics might be a little bit different. It's a massive blow when you look at the two players that would have been coming up against each other in Casemiro and uh, Thomas Partey. That was one I think everyone was looking for. Who's going to come out on top there? So his tactics are going to have to be different. So interesting to see what personnel he goes with. Yeah, I mean, it looks like obviously um, Fred, possibly McTominay, um, will be the person deputised to uh, fill Casemiro's big boots. Mm. The other big item of news in this week is uh, Jim Ratcliffe 
the billionaire who owns Nice, lives Daniels. in the south of France. Yeah. Uh, he came out and he went very public and, you know, he said he wants to buy Manchester United. They're talking, I think... Um, five billion, something like that? In excess of five billion. Um, here's my take about this guy. Yeah. Um, and look, I'm not going to... Some people have uh, people have had issues. He tried to buy Chelsea, but then he's a lifelong United fan. But then he lived in London, so he had a season ticket. At I, I don't really care about that. I mean, he was a guy, rich guy, wants to buy a club. Yeah, not named Glazer. Yeah, that's a positive. Hundred percent. United fan, right? Hundred um, percent. What I'm not clear on is the first time with Chelsea. If you remember, the the rain said, "Okay, we have a whole process. Blah blah blah. Submit your bids by this day. Confidential. Blah blah blah." Yeah. He didn't do the. He didn't do it at all. He just comes out with this communique saying like, "Oh yes, I want to buy the club. We don't want it to fall into foreign hands or whatever." I, and now here he goes public, and the Glazers are so publicity shy. Mm. Why do that? Why? I would think you could, oh, no. since I assume all billionaires know each other. Should yeah. pick up the phone and say, "Hey, uh, Joel, yeah, let's get together. Let's talk. This yeah. is what I'm going to value the club at." Now, at some point later on, obviously, you want to get. Pressure yeah. on the Glazers or whatever that's negotiating. So he showed his hand too early. Is that what you're saying? I just don't see the point of announcing it in this way unless he's already has talks. Unless the Glazers say like, oh, on you know, bidding starts at seven, go away. And yeah. he says, all right, well, then I'm going to make, make it public that I want to buy so that I can turn the screws on the Glazers a little bit. Anyway, mm -hmm. that is an evolving story. We're going to touch upon that. We're going to try to, I'm going to try to get Don to explain to us how United have won uh, nine in a row and what the improvement's been about. Uh, all of that on the Gavin Jules podcast. All right, Don, Jim Ratcliffe, billionaire. Uh, there's some people out there who simply view football through the lens of let's spend money, spend money, and, you know. Fans, uh, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think media as well. We yeah, buy okay. into the narrative, right? Oh, look, Newcastle are owned by, yeah. you know, the, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund. Oh, are they going to go and they're going to sign and bop it? Whatever, you know, like it. But ultimately, I mean, well, you happen to be a Newcastle fan, but mm. um, what do you, I, I get the sense, at least in England, at least those fans who are just fans of their club, especially match-going fans. Yeah. I think the majority of them, yeah, they want to win trophies, obviously, right? Yeah. Especially if it's a big club. Of course. But they basically want somebody who invests in the club. Mm -hmm. If there's profits, reinvests those fans profits. Are not, fans are not bothered about profits. Yeah. But they don't want Couldn't the club, care less. But they don't want the club to go bust. Right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is, yeah, right? yeah. They don't want somebody that if the club is profitable, as it might have been a lot, takes that money and says, oh, look, I did such a good job making yeah. the club profitable. Yeah. Let me get the little slice <laughs> from me. But no, but I mean, that's it's basically true. what the Glazer family's done. Exactly. Right? Those, those exactly. Which, in another business, we wouldn't, have but they, issue but they left the stadium to go to ruin, didn't really invest in the team. So all of that is in the conversation. It's in the pot. Exactly. So Ratcliffe, who is in his 70s, right, has other interests in sports, we kind of assume he's not going to be like that, right? Because he's so rich. I'd like to think I, so. I want to, Jim, don't take it personally, he's probably not going to live another 50 years. Duh. I, God, dude, so dude, I don't, I don't want to do that. But no, he's but, not even bought a club yet and you've put him in the ground. No, that's not what I'm saying. Is if you buy a club at this age, yeah, it's because but it's, you want to enjoy yourself, exactly. you want to make it meaningful, exactly. and you want to leave a legacy. Exactly, right? yeah. You're not doing it. Ratcliffe's not doing this because he wants to make another billion no. for himself. Right? No, he wants to enjoy what he's got. Right. Whereas the Glazers is basically what you call a family office. There's Obviously, after Malcolm passed away, they're running a business. Seven, I think it was is it like six brothers and one sister or whatever. Sister Darcy, by the way. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine knows her. Um, the... 
you know, that's different. Some of those guys don't care about football. Yeah. It is a family business is running sports clubs, right? right? So yeah. that's what they do. So it's a, it's a different outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, this is all good, right? Absolutely. Man United fan as well. Always pulls on the heartstrings, doesn't it? Yeah. Local man made good, <laughs> pumping his money into a club. Good on him. I, I think. I think in the in the time that if he does take over, and the time that he's got on this planet, Gab, and hopefully it's a long time, he's going to enjoy himself. And what Man United fans will lean on um, is the job that the the owners have done at Man City, where they've made a beautiful stadium. They've invested in the area. You go around, you know that that part of Manchester. It's it's a whole lot better than it was before the owners then took over. Then you've got investment into world class players top managers and then as a fan I think as a Man United fan you could look at it and go well we're on the right path we're going in the right direction we've got a great manager stadium needs funds it needs to be better whether they knock it down and build another one or they just you know make Old Trafford better and then everything that comes with that you know as a player when you're sorry as a fan when your team goes in the transfer market you're not going to get blown out of the water if you're in for the big players you know Man United are going to be in the conversation for the players to be at the top table and the very best players. That gives you hope as a fan. To be fair on that point, if I were wearing my Glazer hat, right. I would say, okay, well, we've spent more than a billion on transfers. We have the But they put the club a billion in debt, haven't they? No, the Old Trafford's but they still, shambles. They still spent the money, right? I know. No, but if you're talking about transfers missing out on players... But it's the full package, isn't it? It's, no, re- I, it's, re- it's reinvesting in the stadium. I, I agree. But as, as far as spending on players... I don't know to what degree you can fault. You can say they bought the wrong players, which I think is and undoubtedly us. true, yeah. and they made stupid moves. Yeah. But it's not like they've been stingy all these years with the players necessarily. You know, they have spent money. Mm. I don't think they spent it very well. Yeah, I think they. It is. It, it is. A, it is a funny one because whatever you say about Man United, you can say well, some of the managerial appointments were terrible, but then they had people like Jose Mourinho. You know, they had, they had Van Gaal. They've had good managers. And then the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, then the Ralph Rangnick debacle was just an all-time low. So this now, while they've got Ten Hag and potential new investors, has to be an amazing thing for a Man United fan to grab onto. Talk about managers. Let's talk about this manager, um, Eric Ten Hag. Like him. Well, so I'll hold my hand up. I was skeptical, not because it's him, but Mm. because I thought it was going to take a very long time when he came over, obviously having Cristiano there, not because Cristiano's bad, but because Cristiano doesn't fit that type of football that that he played at Ajax. Mm. I I mean, by my Ten Hag theory around you, at least what we see on the pitch, off the pitch too, I think. That's the most important thing. He's been really good. But on the pitch, I thought he came here with an idea of football, which which he played at Ajax, Mm. which is what got him the title. He realized that this group of players is not built for that. Exactly. That teaching the, the players that style of football is going to take a long time. You can't, you can't also, get... You can't, if you want to play a Preston style of football, you can't Christian Eric, get Christian Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes to play a Preston style of football. So you put them in positions in the short term where they're going to get you wins, they're going to be effective, and the style might not be what Ten Hag wants in a year's time, but the players that he's got is... I, They've got playing the, the the correct football, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I mean, I think it's been a process in getting yeah. there. I also think um, if you play that brand of football, the brand of football I think suits teams that are very talented or teams that are low budget because mm. it is. I think they're a work well, like, in progress, aren't they? Though, sorry, Man United are a work in progress. No, no, I agree. I'm just talking about the, 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 the as the, in the, the players. No, I'm talking about the pressing football. Yeah, just, I mean, just, just stick this idea for a second, right? Yeah. 
that people kind love, of people love pressing football. People love the word pressing football. It's right. like it's just been reinvented in the last five years. <laughs> Liverpool were doing well, it in the seventies and the eighties. Everyone's been doing it. It's just well, another word. Pressing. Everybody's let's play good. a game. What does pressing mean? Closing down. Intensity. Another buzzword. Running around. Well, Low different. block. Defending deep. They're all just new words. <laughs> it's true. But what I'm saying is the the type of high possession, high press football that he played uh, at Ajax. Yeah. Right. It, it was, not, I'm saying he's the only one who did it, no, but it's impressive. it was fairly, fairly distinct, right? They're, they're very proactive. Why don't we use the word proactive, right? Okay. Let's try to play in the opponent's half. Yeah. Let's play with a high line. Let's get, tell our strikers rather than come a little bit further back and like stiffen up the midfield, win the ball there. Let's try to win the ball high up the pace, right? That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Give you a very broad definition. Okay. I would argue that that type of football works best either at teams where you've got very good players yeah. as well who have quality with quantity like Manchester City being an obvious example mm -hmm. or it works at teams with small budgets I'm thinking Brentford for example mm -hmm. where you know you don't have those players because it is a high risk high reward so thing. you put more emphasis if you're Brentford on running well, chasing closing down yeah. then, then the skill factor comes in you know you're going to give up a bunch of stupid goals if you press and play that way yeah um right you, yeah. you just know it's going to happen uh and that's fine if you're brentford because you get three points for a win right yeah. so if i get five wins and seven defeats yeah. hey guess what yeah. i have 15 points in 12 games i'm not going to get relegated if then i could raise my game as thomas frank has shown that they can do yeah then i go a little bit further maybe even a challenge for europe right <clears throat> when you're manchester united or, or, or Liverpool or Manchester City or Barcelona or Real Madrid, if you play that type of football and mm. you give up too many of those stupid goals, you have yeah. too many of those, oh, look, we're chasing them up, then you get people calling you naive, then you start losing to, to teams further down the table. So it's harder to do. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think he realized that when he arrived. He realized that Manchester United, while they have a very expensive squad and a high wage bill, they're not where City and Liverpool were at the end of last no. season, right? The, the first couple of losses would have been a massive eye-opener. Exactly. So we've seen a somewhat, I don't want to say conservative in a negative way, but he says, you know what? I don't need to get these guys to press why do, why do I, I want to get Ericsson and Bruno to chase everyone all over the pitch? Precisely. Use your football intelligence. So when I was at Ajax, and I had by far the best squad in the league, or one of the two best squads in the league, mm -hmm. and I had 65% possession and the other team sat back, yeah. hey, that's fine. You know, I'm playing in my opponents half the yeah. whole game. Yeah. Here... I'm not, because there's a lot of good teams in the Premier League. Yeah. And so when I go play Man City, I'll play Casemiro with Fred. Yeah. You know, two holding midfielders. Which is Boom. which is smart management. And so that, you, you, that you've level got to play. You've got to play yeah. and use, I think, the tools that you've got. That's I, I think that's an absolute credit to to Ten Hag this season. And also that's on the pitch. I think off the pitch, when he came in, um, he won a massive battle with Ronaldo. He won a huge chess match with him. Then you had the little uh, drop in Rashford scenario for being late. All these small and big wins, big win against Ronaldo, small win against Rashford, all that leads into a dressing room, a younger dressing room, Garnachos, Ante Alangas, etc., will all follow the boss because he's got right. authority and they can't cross him. And if they do cross him, out. So one of the other things, Bruno Fernandes came out and he said, we're a team now. We weren't a team before. <laughs> and then he... Anyone, anyone else that went, oh, that's good. But Bruno, the most selfish <laughs> midfield player you've ever seen in well, your life. Leaving that to one side, a lot of people said, oh, look, he's talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. Then he got really angry and says, no, no, no. I was not talking about Cristiano, blah, blah, blah. Which, Is this before or after he chucked Garnacho under the bus when he said he was a terrible trainer <laughs> in, in preseason? 
I don't think you'd enjoy playing with a teammate like Bruno, would you? <laughs> Do you know what? He's one of them players, Gab. He's one of them players where if you're playing against him, you can't stand him. The moaning, uh, the diving. If you're playing with him, you want him on your side because yeah. you know he's going to ruffle everyone and he's talented i've got to say no he's he's talented he's got he's got that uh, he's, he's got those guts he's got that he's got that edge i think people like him yeah um for me it just for me just the bruno the quintessential bruno fernando's moment was if you remember the the, the city game where uh the the goal that he scored right and if you see the assistant flags yeah now can it's his job to flag. Yeah. If you want to argue that the goal should stand because obviously we're not going to reopen that whole thing, no. that's fine. He still has to flag. He still has to flag because he's flagging his rastered offside. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to the referee to decide whether he's interfering with play or not. And the VAR guys, yeah. And the VAR guys and whatever. Um, but I just thought that was so extraordinary. He's like, he got, he's got no credit out of this, Bruno, <laughs> is like, he? I was like, dude, like, chill out. Like, there's but a referee, there's a VAR. But, they're Bru gonna decide. but Bruno's come away scoring in the Manchester derby with sort of no credit whatsoever I, because I, they're all the <laughs> VAR in the offside debacle. And Bruno, of course, scored uh, again last night, so we can give him uh, credit for for that one i know you like your percentages oh go on then so i'm gonna give you two Oof. percentage chance that manchester united finish top four bearing in mind i think spurs are six points back like that yeah um i think arsenal and city will be clear no no, no. i just need to know about I know, i'm just trying to i'm trying to do the man maths in the head the cogs are turning um i think there's a strong I think there's a strong 60% chance they will. 60% chance. I'm going to go higher than that. I'm going to go uh, well into the 90s. I think it's wow. to finish top four yeah. with a gap. And yeah, I, I think it's United. I trust your man maths over mine. Yeah. United to win the Premier League? Oh, no. Uh, five. Five percent. Yeah. That's interesting. City? <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's give them. I tell you what, let's go. Because if you give United five, no, I'm curious how much you give. No, City. no, no, no. It's just because I'm terrible at man maths. Yeah, clearly, no, no, no. Because obviously, <laughs> no, you subtracted from hundred. Well, then, no, I, as, it, as I sit here, if you now, give City fifteen percent, you're saying there's a one in five chance Arsenal throw it away. As I sit here now, I'd give Arsenal uh, fifty. I'd give City thirty-five and Man U fifteen. There you go. Arsenal fifty percent chance. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'd, go, I'd, I'd go higher. I'd go higher. I'd go 65. Yeah, that's, that starts yeah. getting my man maths in the world of trouble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <there you go. laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, I think Riyadh's King Fahd International Stadium is very much the home of football this week because we had the Spanish Super Cup at the weekend in a few hours. Aren't you excited? Ooh. The Riyadh All-Stars playing on, uh, they're taking on, um, well, Paris Saint-Germain. Oh, Riyadh All-Stars featuring such stars as Odio Nigalo and Cuellar. Nice. And that Cristiano Ronaldo. He skipped, Ernie. What? He's captain, isn't he? Cristiano? That's what I've read. I, I, He's only been there two minutes. Captain of the Riyadh All-Star. It's, it's the best players from Al-Halal and the best players from Al Nasser combining into a wow. super team. Um, but I want to talk about the other Super Cup. The one that's played on Wednesday, Milan Derby, Milan against Inter. Now, both these teams went into the game in not a good run of form. Milan knocked out of the Coppa Italia. Yeah. Inter, of course, beating Verona. I mean, yeah. the results haven't been terrible, but, you know... You haven't had that. No. They haven't looked as good as they looked at uh, at other times. So it's one of those things where it could be pick-me-up, right? Yeah. And destroyed. for Milan, it just gets worse. Destroyed. Destroyed, 3-0. 3-0 could have been more because I thought Inter were cruising. I thought they played the game. They started really well. They started fast, Inter. And they put Milan on the back foot. They scored a great opening goal. Um, very close to being offside, but it was a brilliant goal in the end. And then once Am I too excited by Di Marco? No, 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 I love him. When I, I, done, I, I worked on the Napoli game, uh, the Juve game on Friday night uh, and doing some notes, just checking, checking, checking. And Mario Rui played at left back and I put Mario Rui and I wrote above him, Di Marco, two best crosses in Italian football. I think he's an amazing player. And then he got his goal, but his general play, his industry, his left foot, his crossing, wonderful player. And they destroyed Milan. It was easy for them. They played the last 20 minutes of like cruising. We saw those same defensive mistakes from Milan that we saw at the weekend again against mm. uh, against Lecce when yeah. they were two 0 down at halftime could have been could have been three 0 down frankly and they battled back for two two draw on that occasion. Yeah. What happens when? Explain this to me, right? Fikayo Tomori, we know he's a great player. Mm -hmm. Theo Hernandez, a great player. Yeah. Why do you suddenly have a bad run of form when it's not physical? Did that happen to you? Absolutely, it happens to every pro. And it's something like, we, we, we've got all these metrics in the modern game and we've got all this analysis where you can try and delve into the analysis and the metrics and what's going on and distance covered, all these things. There's one or two things that you can never measure and that's confidence. And once you have a little run of confidence or, or lack of self-doubt creeps into your game, you never ever play the game as natural. You're at your very best. When your confidence is sky high, you could almost play the game with your eyes closed because you know where your mates are going to be. You know the ball's coming into you. All the biomechanics, everything from the brain down to the feet and the pass you're going to make. And you can see all your... Once you start having self-doubt, ball comes into you. Ooh, I'm just going to make sure I take that extra touch. I might have another one. Bam. But all of a sudden, you okay. close down. So... How often does that? First of all, we're not asking questions about this. This is I brought up with a bunch of ex-pros and coaches, right? Yeah. So, some people tell me some people aren't like that. In fact, one coach told me some of the dumber players mm -hmm. aren't like that because you don't think about it. Right. They make a mistake, boom! I don't care. Go, go right back up, and they keep playing like themselves. It so you can imagine it doesn't that, affect them. This this is how I this is how I um, my analogy of it. If you can imagine like a um, like a power bar on your arm. And rock bottom is zero confidence. Top is you're having a world you're flying. If you give a lot of rubbish balls away and your confidence levels are rock bottom, you can't then go for the Hollywood to try and get it top again. Does that make sense? But so got, we, we've seen players who do that, right? Yes, but you, you, your ball will be up and down. You'll be rock bottom, you'll be sky high, you'll be rock bottom. That's inconsistencies. 
So what you have to do, if your confidence is rock bottom, is make sure you just go simple and you go simple and you eke that bar up to a level where you think, right, I'm on it, I'm back. You can't just be inconsistent. Are all players like that? No, no, no. That's how I look at it. Okay. That's why you because I've, I've been there as a young player. I tried to go the Hollywood pass because I'm giving the ball away. So let's let let's make the most spectacular right. pass in the world because that'll get rid of all the bad passes. And then you don't pull it off, and it makes it worse. Exactly. Or you do, and then you go, you spike in, and you you inconsistent. Right. It's the worst way to try and play the game. Got it. So you got to take those small steps. Uh, that's in my opinion. Small steps out of it uh, for Inter. Still waiting on Lukaku. He could be playing this weekend. Mm-hmm. We have Jekko. We have well, obviously Lautaro scored a great goal for the for the third goal. Yeah, Jekko's doing it in a different way than he did before. Mm. Um, so underrated, you think? I love him. He's such an intelligent player. Exactly. Got a great football brain. Knows where to be. Not the quickest, but he's still got a yard when he needs it. He's still got a trick. His finish was magnificent. The way he dropped inside Tonali, who fell for the sort of left foot cross and he dropped it back on his right foot. Brilliant finish. Still got it. Good partnership, I think. Stephen Jang, the Inter-President, very bullish uh, after this game, saying we're going to try to catch Napoli, we're on a journey, blah, blah, blah. I think the Super Cup is the kind of thing that can either give you more confidence or take what little confidence you had left, take it away. I want to talk a little bit more about some of the themes um, around these two teams, uh, especially around Inter, just this is a story that's bounced around. It's pretty well sourced in Italy. There hasn't been much conversation. I just want to get your take on it as, as a former midfielder. Mm-hmm. Frank Kessie hasn't he hasn't set the world on fire in Barcelona. I mean, to yeah. be fair, Tottenham he's plays, not he? a defensive midfielder. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh look, he's big, he's strong. He yeah, runs yeah. yeah, he's not a defensive midfielder. No. So he's not going to replace Busquets. I think people realize that De Jong's mm-hmm. there and he's been good. And yeah. the other two guys, Pedri and Gavier, pretty good, right? Nice. Um, but they're still thinking, oh, we need another tidy creative passer, another mm-hmm. playmaker type. So this idea of a pro- of a Marcelo Brozovic mm-hmm. for Frank Kessie swap has kind of materialized. Now, yeah. I'm a fan of the Braz. Same. But if I'm injured, I do this in an absolute heartbeat. Would you? He's different players. Five years older. Well, yeah, no, but I would. But I think from Inter's perspective, right? Brozovic has been out, right? Yeah. He was up before the World Cup. Yeah. From Inter's perspective, and you know they've kind of put patches on it. Shalinoglu's played there. Mkhitaryan's mm. played there. Aslani's played there. But Aslani's very young. I think Aslani mm. can grow into the position. Maybe not this season, but next season. Mm. If I then get Kessie, all of a sudden I have Kessie and Barella in midfield. I have mm. a wrecking crew in there. Yeah. Right. That's pretty good. And I have another six play, six years of this, right? I don't have to worry about Brozovic's contract. Mm. If I'm Barcelona, as wonderful as the Braz is, mm. it's another short-term solution. I mean, this is something that you do for, I hate to say it, for accounting reasons, right? Because you sign Kessie on a free transfer. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, look, we swapped them for Brozovic. Yeah. We can put a... But does this four, not, do, forty million valuation on each of them? Does right? this not we scream? We just made forty million. Does this not scream of when Pjanic left Juve and you lose that type? I of think player? yeah. I think the difference is these two guys are a lot better and a lot more productive than yeah. Because Pjanic and Arthur. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, but um, but I can remember commenting on on Inter so many times when Brozovic wasn't playing and they missed him like you wouldn't oh, believe. Completely. Completely. Um, I, I I just thought. That was an interesting one to comment on. Yeah. Um, again, it hasn't had that much traction in mm. Barcelona. Maybe they were busy with with Depay, but it is something yeah. that people are pushing. I wonder... I think it's always interesting, Gab, when you get a player that's not been brilliant at another club or successful, there's always a way back for them. 
I think Frank Anguissa at Napoli is a prime yeah. example. You know, very average at Fulham at best. Can't get him out the side now. Playing no. with Labocca, playing with Zielinski, gets forward. Didn't really see this. I've seen the talent in him. Maybe the confidence levels weren't there, but there's always an example how a player can, can move away, not be successful, and then people say, well, that's rubbish. No, he just didn't fit it. He just didn't, just didn't get it, or he couldn't get time on the pitch, and he couldn't shift players at the team. So another, another change, another club. It well, works. He a coach, doesn't fit a system. There's yeah. a lot of reasons it can happen. Uh, for Milan, mm. if you're a glass half full kind of guy... Which I am. Okay, then you would point out and you would say they won the title last season. Mm -hmm. They have roughly the same number of points this season yep. than they had last season. Mm -hmm. So, you know, despite the whole chicken little, the sky is falling, why are we so far behind Napoli? Mm. Well, that has to do with Napoli being phenomenal. Yep. But Milan aren't that much worse no. than they were last year. Do you buy that? Because uh, I test I, I, sometimes I, tells you different, right? I buy that Milan when your champion should have went and bought a better standard of player rather than the younger player. I get it when you're buying younger players in, you're buying them for a period of time. But while you're top of the tree, if you can try and sign the best players and strengthen while you're at the top, I think they've took their eye off the ball a little bit. And when I look at the size of their squad, the size of their squad's pretty good. Depth, I'm not so sure. And you're right, Napoli are blowing everyone away. So I, I think part of that, the types of players that they bought, I mean... You're saying they're at the top. Like, financially, they're still digging themselves out of big holes. But they've still got Giroud and still got Zlatan, and you're still sort of, well, you know. You have Zlatan waving them. But, but that's, but that's yeah. my point. That's, no, my, no, that's I, my point. Where, where, where is... I, I think where they came up short, uh, where they let themselves down a little bit, where, you know, their, their signings this summer, you know, Vranks hasn't really... No. Move the needle, although he's a young player, he may come good. Right? Decent. A, a, a lot of the guys they signed, let's not forget, whether it's, um, I mean, Tonali, mm -hmm. whether it's CEO to some degree, whether it's Kalulu. Yeah. A lot of these guys weren't great when they first signed. Rafael Leao, mm -hmm. they weren't great when they first signed them. They were patient with them mm -hmm. and then they became very good. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I look at the signings this summer, I don't have an issue with ranks if you think he's going to be good, right? Uh, and the Ketelaire is the one. Everybody talks about because yep. it costs thirty-five million. Yep. Again, the guy's twenty-one years exactly. old. Exactly. Never underestimate as well, which I think we forget. I don't because because I was playing in the game when I was very young. But fans see a signing like De Ketelaire and they they see the transfer fee and they go, "He'll be playing as a number ten or a number nine for Milan. He'll, he'll be playing." Um, give the kid time. You can't just wander into a club like AC Milan when their history and heritage just go. I can fit this shirt. It yeah. Takes time. I, I I think that's I think that's a great point. I mean, obviously. He, did, you know, he played for Bruges in the Champions League and stuff. He did get a lot of exposure and got a lot of mm. hype. But that is at a different level in a exactly. different context. Yeah. This is the this is the San Siro. I think also he often played on the center left or operated kind of in that area in the mm. past. And it's harder for him to do that at Milan because you've got Rafael Leao yeah. um, on on the left wing. Um, so I think you give the Ketelaire more time. Mm. The, the ones that didn't make sense to me were Divock Origi on a free program uh, on, a, on a free transfer yeah I mean he's contributed nothing and mm -hmm. I don't want to have a go at him no 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 it's just, it's, but if you look at his career at Liverpool yeah it's not, obviously he scored big goals and big games big moments yeah 
But he he played very little. He hardly played. But that, that was my point when I said when you look at the when you look at the depth of the squad. When you go look at the substitutes, you go it's not bad bit of depth there. Yeah. But first team players for Milan at the moment, the depth is not there. Yeah, but there was nothing in Origi that gives you an indication of like well he couldn't get into the Liverpool side because they had Salah and Mane. Yeah. Uh, but he can get into the Milan side. Um, no. So that's an oversight from whoever signed him or Pioli. I think that is... A, I, because I, surely they must have looked at where is Zlatan and where is Giroud going to be in a year's time, which is now. Yeah. And to think that Origi, at 27, 28 years of age, is going to be a starter, maybe, like, oh, look, he's fresh. Because even at Liverpool, mm. if you remember over the years, you know, he signed Jota, he signed Minamino. Yeah. It's not like he was even the first option off the bench all the time, right? right? So that should make you think. It's not like Klopp is a fool, right? Mm. So, uh, and the other one is Sergino Dest, who I think they rolled the dice with him a little bit. It doesn't cost him very much. After Florenzi got injured, they figured another right back. Yeah. But again, he looks like a real fish out of water mm. uh, at Milan from what we've seen so far. Yeah. I, I think we I can take it as a given. He's not sticking around. He's going to go back to Barcelona. So food for thought. But I'm generally with you. I don't mm. think this team has, has gone backward. It's just no. that... Nah. So frightening. They're just frightening, aren't they? <laughs> they make everybody else honestly mediocre. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, enough Super Cup. How about some quick hits instead? Let's do it, Cup. Harvey Elliott gets an early goal to send Liverpool on their way to a 1-0 win over Wolverhampton Wanderers in their FA Cup third-round replay. Don, was this the bounce-back performance you were looking for? Chalk and cheese performance. It was like you were watching this team graft, press, being energetic, um, scored a great goal. I thought Pacecic in the middle of the park was amazing. Thiago with his tricks in the middle of the park. I thought they looked defensively really solid. Um, Joe Gomez, the last 20 minutes, went it right back. That might be interesting if he comes up against uh, Mudrick or Trent Alexander-Arnold. But in terms of the performance against Wolves, it was like, that was Liverpool. I don't want to say they're back because Jurgen Klopp wouldn't be naive enough to say they're back. But that was so much better. Uh I, th I thought it was significant, too, that um, he played Thiago uh, and Fabinho, you know, almost as if to say, you guys put in a stinker at the weekend. Yeah. Show me yeah. the real Thiago. And he took Thiago back and put him into midfield rather than putting Thiago as a number 10. More advanced role. Yeah. Uh, Atletico Madrid bounced back up from a draw against Almera to beat Levante 2-0 in the Copa del Rey. But the big news is that Memphis Depay is close to joining them from Barcelona. Are you a Depay fan? Yeah, well, as we as we take this in fact, not just close, apparently he's having medicals. Um, I am a massive Depay fan. I am a huge Depay fan. I think he creates out of nothing. I think he's a really good addition. How is he different from Yao Felix? Well, I think he's more consistent than, okay. than, than Yao Felix. But more importantly... He costs you a lot less, and Joe Felix is gone. Uh, him, and his, him and his attitude are now in West La uh, are now in West London. Now you have Depay for a team like Atleti, who sometimes struggles to 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 create chances, or rather, 
When they decide to be defensive, they struggle to create chances. Mm -hmm. Here's a guy who creates out of nothing. So you have that extra body because, you know, you were down to just three strikers mm -hmm. in, in Griezmann, Correa, and, and Morata. Uh, now you have an alternative. He's going to be motivated. And besides, last time you took a guy from, uh, uh, from who was unwanted at Barcelona, uh, Luis Suarez, mm -hmm. worked out pretty well for you. Not bad. Chelsea may have spent a bundle on Mikhailo Mudrik and given him a seven-and-a-half-year uh, deal with an option for another. But according to The Athletic, his wages are relatively modest, less than a hundred grand a week or around six million dollars a year. Not what you expect for a player who costs 70 million plus uh, uh, 30 million mm. uh, in bonuses. Does this mean Todd Bowley knows what he's doing after all? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, listen, I think the signing's a good one. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see how he fits into that team. Uh, I've watched him so many times, so I know the type of player he is. I think specifically about his wages. It's, I mean, it's, it's not it, a lot for no, you it's relative not, but, to the fee. But it, 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 it's all dependent on where you come from in terms of the fee that you're negotiating from. So I don't know what he was earning at Shakhtar, but let's just say it was what? 10 grand a week, might be less. I think 120 are probably less, yeah. So, le okay. so less. So all of a sudden you go from 10 grand a week to 100. And it's guaranteed for seven and a half years. And, so and you're, in, you're, in, you're in for about 42 million quid wages. The one thing is Mudrik establishes himself, even just as a starter at Chelsea, he's going to come knocking at the door. For, for, for a pay rise. There, there might be. There might be incentives in there. Uh, you never know. Uh, speaking of the Mudrick deal, Gab, are you surprised that Shakhtar are donating 25 million euros uh, of the fee to the Ukraine war effort? Uh, no, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think it's such a political thing. If, if I mean, I mean put very simply, um, Shakhtar's kind of come, become a bit of a symbol in this war. Um, the they're actually from Donetsk, although obviously they're, you know, they, they split their time between Poland mm. and then the west of Ukraine because yeah. of the war. Uh, is bombs falling in your head and they speak Russian and, and there's Russian army soldiers where you live, mm. of course you're going to donate to it. I think I think it's an important gesture. I wouldn't be surprised too, and I think UEFA should do this, that that 25 million, given it's a donation, somehow that doesn't factor into their accounts for uh, for financial fair play, doesn't factor right. in as... That makes or, sense. Or, or, or an allowance like that, because yeah. I think this is important. Yeah. Don, I'm going to take advantage of having you with us to ask you about the turmoil at Everton. Fans are furious. Did fans ever come after you the way they did Millwall fans after did. Anthony Gordon? <laughs> no, Millwall fans I did. I mean, your they. own fans. Uh, yeah, yeah. Millwall fans when I played for Millwall for six months until I got myself out of there because that was a nightmare. I never knew you spent time I know, I at the new den. I know, was it the I, old den back yeah, then? I don't know. I try, it never happened in my mind. It never happened. Like I never played there even though I did for oh, six wait, months. Those are far scarier fans than Everton fans. Oh, oh, absolutely. Especially back then. Well, especially when you leave West Ham to go to Millwall. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> exactly. So it gets worse. So literally, I was. So, wait, wait, wait. Did you upset somebody at West no! Ham that they sent you to? No, 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 no. What oh. happened was uh, my my contract had run out at West Ham. Uh, bit bit of a long story. I was going through a divorce at the time. I had offers from Australia and the MLS, and I didn't want to move away from my five year old, six year old boy at the time. So I literally went, "Where's the closest? Millwall. That's a good idea. Let's go there." But you wish you'd picked Leighton Orient. Oh my days! Honestly, horrendous. Uh, Juve have officially replaced their board gap and the outgoing president Agnelli had some parting words about the Super League. Yeah, he came out and he said what he's kind of said all along that, you know, uh, the, the system is, bro is broken, UEFA not fit for governance, that's why he had to do the Super League, we're going to realise it one day, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to which obvious answer is, so they needed the deep structural reforms. You were on the executive committee, you were the mm -hmm. head of the European Clubs Association. What did you do to for those deep structural reforms? Like, I, this is almost like an ideological battle. I think most important thing that people need to know here is that Juventus's main shareholder, Exor, which is essentially owned, controlled by the Agnelli family, mm. 
they have injected 700 million worth of equity into the club to make up for the massive losses and some poor decisions that wow. were made with Agnelli as president. That's why the shareholders are angry. When you do a capital injection, you're investing to go forward, yeah. not to go and plug holes from what happened before. Yeah. So new board are saying, you know, they're hoping in five to eight years to have 50% of the players come be homegrown, come from the, you know, Juve next gen team. Mm. All of that is great. Let's see if, if, if they stick to it. They need reform. And I think it's time to draw a line under the Agnelli era. Mm. Uh, this is breaking news, so details are still out there, but uh, we heard about how Leandro Trossard fallen out with the Zerbi yeah. uh, at Brighton. Uh, he's got six months to go on his contract. Reportedly, he's very close to signing for Arsenal. Wow. Good move. Until Chelsea go in and say, we'll give you 100 million and we'll have him instead. <laughs> he's got six months left on his contract. I don't think it's going to be 100 million. <laughs> you don't know. Because you know, Chelsea need other sort of, of course. attacking winger, midfielder types. Here. Of course I do. I think it's a great move for Arsenal. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say loosely. It's another body, but it is. But it's a quality body. Um, good move for the player. He's upgrading. Um, potentially could win a Premier League, or certainly going to be in Champions League football next season. So I think as as a club, I think Dejerby was quite strong in his words, quite forthright. But looked like it was right as well. If the player's attitude was down and it wasn't good, then bin him for that game. He did offer the olive branch. So there's always a way back. But in terms of the player going to Arsenal, I think for the fit. I don't know if you agree. It feels like a really good fit. He's a good footballer, yeah. technically very good. I can see him doing quite well at Arsenal. Yeah, and you know, exactly. an alternative out wide. In some games, he could be an alternative through the middle to uh, yeah. Eddie Nketiah until Jesus returns. And the other thing to remember, the guy was on an expiring contract in June. Mm. So if Brighton, as a club, and you know how Brighton make decisions, yeah. director of football, whatever, yeah. if they decide not to extend his contract, he's going to leave anyway. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, so breaking news regarding the refs and the VAR, we're going to hear from the VAR team actually what's going on in games. That's a good thing, huh? That's at the Club World Cup. This is something a lot of people have asked for. I think the only time it's been done before, it's been done, maybe they still do it, I don't know. But uh, in the A-League in Australia, yeah. I think it's great. It's a much better explanation than sort of like VAR check, yeah. you know, penalty or no penalty or whatever. Like, yeah. no, tell me what happened. Curious to know how it's going to work with the languages and stuff, how they're mm. going to do that, uh, how refs feel about it. But I think it's a positive so will step that, will forward. will that be heard in the stadiums? I think as well as... I heard, heard everywhere, yeah. Amazing. IFAB, so. uh, sticking with IFAB, they've turned down a request from the Premier League and Major League Soccer to introduce temporary concussion substitutions whereby players could leave the pitch, be evaluated, and if given the all-clear, come back on. Many are angry about this. Mm. FIFA, IFAB saying, no, 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 we have the permanent concussion substitutions. Let's stick with that. What's your take? Well, when you talk this subject, I think it's always very sensitive. I'm not sure how you could potentially have someone that's concussed try to do an assessment within a period of time, 5, 10, 15 minutes, wherever it might be, uh, and then allow the player to come on, come back on the pitch, because there could be a scenario, and I'm pretty sure with, with concussion scenarios, um, you might be fine for the first 15 minutes, but then struggle later on. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you have to put yourself, listen to the doctors here. Yeah. Um, and I think that was part of their concern. Yeah. Uh, so Bayern have uh, secured Jan Sommer, good keeper, by the way. I've been raving about him for years, from uh, Gladbach to replace Manuel Neuer. Eight million rising to nine and a half million with bonuses for the 34-year-old. It isn't cheap. No, it's not cheap. It's an emergency situation. Interesting to see what happens uh, when uh, um, Neuer comes back next season. But you know what? They play Leipzig Friday. They got no choice. They need a keeper. 
The mighty Leeds United beat Cardiff City 5-2 in their FA Cup replay, but it's all about my boy Willy Nyonto, the pride of Baveno on the shores of Lake Maggiore. He scored two goals, and one of them was positively Di Canio-esque. Beautiful, wasn't it? It's not as good as Di Canio's. It's oh, not as sexy. the bar kind of high there. Yeah, well, I mean, you, I mean, it isn't the question, but it was Di Canio's was far more sexier. The ball from Trevor Sinclair, the driven sort of four iron, if you want to use a golf analogy. Then the Decanio beautiful uh, finish. It was pretty impressive, though. It was a hell of a strike, wasn't it? How hard is it to do that when you're like off the like? Do See, you, did you attempt that kind of stuff yeah, in yeah. training? So, so the technique's not hard. Like the scissor kick in the air is not hard. It's the precision and the accuracy that you provide with the finish. The thing is also the ball's coming behind you yeah. too. So you, not- so, you know, I, I, I could throw a ball into your path and you can try the finish and right. you'd, you'd be able to execute the, the volley in terms of you'd strike it quite well, but then stick it in one of the corners, in the top corners, and you score. <laughs> it's like one in a million. That's why they, that's why they're so special. Uh, according to reports, Gab, there have been no bids for Liverpool at their desired three billion valuation. So FSG may look to sell a minority stake instead. You surprised? Um, I think we're in a different era, money-wise. I wrote a column about this, right? Um, you know, the, we think of the Premier League as like this massive money machine, right? And mm. they are far ahead, right? Yeah. But if you exclude player trading. The Premier League lost money in eight of the last 10 years, just in terms of operating income, right? They made an operating loss. Now, not yeah. every club, yeah, yeah. but as a whole, we're, we've moved past the era now until maybe, what, like six months, a year ago before mm. the stock market started tanking and, and the sort of being on the verge of a recession. We've seen interest rates go up. We've seen inflation, which means all these private equity people who are sitting on piles of money, yeah. they're not doing that anymore. So uh, it could be a move to, you know, it could be FSG who put this out because they want to solicit more bidders forward mm. uh, or whatever. Um, personally, I would not be interested in buying a minority stake no. in Liverpool. If I'm going to spend this kind of money, I want to run the club. Of course. So could we see something like maybe somebody buys a stake with an option to then buy the rest? Would FSG be interested in it? Uh, I don't know. The, the one thing you hope for, um, and I think this will happen, but... You don't want to have a situation where FSG say, all right, let's just wait for better times. Let's mm. just stick along, but let's not take more losses. Let's just try to run a break mm. even, or let's try to make the club's look, books look better. Yeah. You know, maybe bring it to, to profitability, not strengthen the team. It feels a bit messy, though, doesn't it? If you've got an owner and a part owner or a minority or a majority, it just seems like just buy, the, just buy it. Just buy the whole oh, thing. Yeah, just buy it. Just, buy just, it. just, just well, reach in no, your pocket, no, buy three well, billion. No, but that, that always makes me laugh when people say that because if you've got three billion, you've probably got 50 billion. It's not like, you've got, yeah, so, yeah, it's not yeah, like you've got three billion and then you go, there's every single penny I've got. You've got a billion or two somewhere. Some people just have three billion and so they can, they need to get together with their mates or also who also only have three billion Maybe. and they all chip, chip, you know, chip in 500 million yeah. and buy the club. That's how expensive these clubs are these days. Yeah. Reports in Serie A suggest Roma are willing to raise funds by letting Nicolò Zagnolo leave uh, for somewhere between 35 and 40 million euros. Don, he's still just 23 years uh, old. Does he have the Hutchinson stamp of approval? Oh, 100% he does. I love him. It's just he's picking up little niggly injuries off the back of his two ACLs that he had a couple of years ago, and he's keep picking up these little injuries. I love him as a player. I absolutely, there's no but. I love him as a player. Keep him fit. He can be anything that he wants to be. The only thing I struggle with from the player's point of view 
I actually don't know which club would suit him. You know, like we tr- we chat well, Trossard. He's pretty and we unique, go, right? Yeah, we, but we track we, we chat Trossard, and you go, "That's a fit." Arsenal feels like a great fit. I don't know where he fits. So, if you're looking to uh, add kind of a very talented but somewhat mismatched winger striker, we don't really know what position he plays. Type surely Chelsea would be the right club for him <laughs> because Pulisic, <laughs> Sterling, Ziyech, uh, Ziyech, Mount, Joe Felix, Mudrick, you know, a bunch of them. You know? Just buy him. <laughs> I love him though. I do. Uh, talking of another player, a team that I love, Napoli will not be winning the treble gab. They got bounced out the Cop Retalia by Cremonese on penalties. Brilliant game. A, a brilliant game, brilliant story. Obviously, those of us who who were close to Gianluca Vialli couldn't get but help but get a little emotional about mm. it. I think the last game uh, Vialli actually went to see was actually went to watch Cremonese. Uh, uh, and obviously that's a club where he started out. Yeah. That's that's where he's that's where he's from. That's near where my dad's uh, family's from uh, as well. Uh, Napoli were not good in this game. This was not one of those things he where... He rested a few though, didn't he, Spalletti? Yeah, of course. But I mean, he rested people in the Champions League know, too. Know, they, still, they still beat up everybody. Uh, you know, they went a goal down and they took the lead. I thought it was a bit against the run of play. Cremonese get a late, uh, a late equalizer, but very much deserved. And then mm. they went on penalties. This is not a game where, you know, uh, Cremonese were hanging on no. for penalties. I mean, at the all. conditions, like, it was lashing down a rain. It was like yeah, brilliant. That doesn't like. help either. Well, some people like it when it's lashing down with rain yeah, and it's all wet. Some yeah. people don't. Uh, but uh, I think this is good news for Napoli because it's one less distraction. Go as far as you can in the Champions League. Bit of a sharpener as well. And it's, I think it's a bit of a wake-up call yeah. too. You know, No complacency here just because you beat Juve 5-1. Yeah. Ronaldinho's son, Jean de Assis Moreira, and I apologize, I'm not Brazilian uh, and I don't speak Portuguese, has been on trial at Barcelona. And Jean Laporta himself has reportedly asked Xavi to give him more time to evaluate him. Uh, Don, a couple of things here. First of all, I wonder if how appropriate it is to have somebody on trial in the midst of a season when you're fighting for a title or whatever, mm. um, especially somebody who whose dad is Ronaldinho. Yeah, the trial bit's fine because you can put him if you can put him in a different group. He wouldn't be, I would imagine, training with the first team, so it doesn't it doesn't attract. Yeah, but if the idea is Chavi's there to assess him, yeah, but he could pretty loaded when it's Ronaldinho. So it's no, not no, of course, like, yeah, you know, some Burke nobody's heard of, and no. you know. Um, but I'm always fascinated by kids of, of footballers who make it and those who don't. Mm. Is it random? And we had this conversation off air we did. personally. And I think I proved to you that you did. kids you, of ex-pros you are... chucked some maths in there, which blew my mind. Kids of ex-pros are overrepresented in the player population, which is not surprising, right? Mm. Better genes, athleticism, technique. Also, they grow up in a sporting environment. Also, they may have an easier easier way in, mm. you know, if... If your kid wanted to play football, I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's that's true. You 10 pull, clubs where you know people and you say, hey, look, pull a give few them a strings, trial, right? Pull a few strings. Exactly. Done it myself. Um, but I, in your experience, how are, are kids of ex-pros different or are they just like any other footballer? I don't know, Gab. I think it's 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 you know. And your you, dad was not. Your dad. My was a dad minor was. My dad was a minor. You know, he left <laughs> he left Scotland at fifteen to be a minor. So there was no there's no genes from my from my side. My dad and my mum. My brother played football, but there's no sort of immediate genes. There's a million things you can chuck into the conversation. You can chuck in your desire to want to be a footballer, which helps. 
I believe in muscle memory, i.e. when I was five or six and I got given a ball, I was up against a brick wall for, I don't know, four hours a day, um, seven days a week. So the ball was my friend. The ball was always coming back. So you're honing your skills without even knowing it. All the biomechanical, which I've spoke to different sports scientists, they say is incredible on how many, how many sort of pictures, like a camera, your your eyes and your brain take when you're playing football when you're young. Um, the fascination is, do academies help um, develop a player or you're better off being a street footballer? I would not swap my upbringing. I would never want to be in an academy. I like to learn from being on the streets. So I, I, to answer your question, I don't know because there's a million components that make up the player. Well- in terms of the ex-players that you've seen whose dads were not just footballers but or professional footballers but mm. very successful ones. Well, so, I lived with Jamie Redknapp for many a year. I was seeing Jamie Redknapp, yeah. Frank Lampard. Yeah. Is there a perception because most people, you know, don't come from those backgrounds that mm. because those guys grew up, let's say it, privileged, right? Yeah. Uh relative to the majority of other people. Of course. Somehow they they may when they were younger that they were seen as a little bit soft and so maybe they had to prove themselves or whatever. But then, but then, but then, mine and Jamie's story is completely different. So Jamie's dad, obviously Harry, took him in at Bournemouth when he was fourteen, fifteen, or if not a little bit younger, and he let him watch and train, not with the first team, but kicking the ball around, and then he obviously got good and he played the games, where I didn't. So I'm, I'm, I'm. Right, but you, said to... you, you were with Jamie, right? So yeah, like... yeah, I lived with him for, for four years at Liverpool. Did he seem? But was there a sense that he was? Was there? Did other people look at him and say, "Oh, that's Redknapp's kid"? Maybe so he must be a little soft. May, yeah, maybe. Maybe in the dressing room, people went, "Ah, Jamie Redknapp. His dad was Harry. He was, you know, he's, right. he's, he's had it easy." But you know, you, you, you still you, back in our day. I'm not sure what it's like now, Gab. But you've still got to earn your stripes. You've still got to be. Right. You've still got to sit in the away dressing room at Anfield when you get changed. You're not allowed in the home dressing room or the home, home uh, where the first team plays. So you've still got to earn your stripes. You've got to be. You've got to make sure that in Jamie's case. When you sign for a club like Liverpool, off the back of his dad Harry, you've got to be good enough to play for Liverpool, and that that doesn't happen because, you know, you're the son of Harry. No, I, I, I'm just I'm, I'm assuming Ronaldinho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grew so, up in some kind of mansion or whatever. I mean, so you, you, you'd like to think the fairy tale. You'd like to think he's going to be a hell of a player, didn't right. you? Coming from Ronaldinho's genes. You would assume so. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but of but, course, yeah. You know, that's no guarantee. I mean, look at um, was it Steffi Graf and uh, Andre Agassi? Yes. You know? Yeah. Their kids are not yeah. world-beating tennis players. No, no. So, Gab, so Sarah Bjork Gunnar's daughter has won her claim against Leon over unpaid maternity leave in a landmark case. Uh, yeah, so basically, I mean, this is something which I think is really important, which is one of the things that I think often keeps women away from, from football uh, careers and, and, and opportunities. Uh, FIFA passed a law, I think, in 2021 it was, and I think this is the first time this really been applied, where they said, look, at a minimum, mm-hmm. if you are a professional footballer, mm-hmm. um, if you get pregnant, you get, you're entitled to 14 weeks of maternity leave mm-hmm. at two-thirds of your salary. Now, let's remember, it's different for women. It's not like, oh, look, you know, especially when you're a professional athlete. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you deal with the pregnancy beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you're working at a desk where, yeah. you know, you can keep working until, you know, maybe like one month before or whatever, you know, it's going to affect you earlier. Um, and then afterwards you give birth and then it takes time. Yeah. So it really is a chunk out. I think 14 weeks, which is probably a lot less than most women are out, mm. two thirds of a salary should be a minimum. Mm. Um, Leon, they made the argument, and look, I'm not, ins and outs of French legal law, I said like, oh no, but under French maternity law, it would be illegal for us to pay her that money, Mm. which doesn't make sense to me, but I'm sure there's a fine explanation. Um, 
I think this should be the norm. If you are the kind of league that says we are professional, yeah. we have these minimum standards, yeah. you have to guarantee certain basic working conditions, and that's one of them. And if you say it's too expensive, you know what? Then price it into what you pay these people. Feels right, right though, doesn't it? It just, feels it, right. It is the right thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Pay them less. If you can't afford yeah. it, pay them a less basic salary, but take the money that you save from that yeah. to guarantee these basic things because they are important because the, the, this, these are choices women make. I mean, I, you know, if you become a professional footballer, you know, you can't expect every woman to say, oh, let me wait until I'm 35 and retired exactly. yep. to have a child. It exactly. doesn't work that way. No. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A knuckle duster was thrown on the pitch during Ankara Gucci's clash with Besiktas in Turkey. I'm sorry, it's not funny, but I'd much rather you be throwing the knuckle duster uh, onto the hit, the pitch than using it to bash somebody's head in. What's the most exotic thing uh, you've ever seen I thrown on the think, pitch? I, in your I don't think I've had anything, Gab. I don't not think not specifically I have. you, but you've played with some pretty unpopular teammates, right? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything being... Nobody ever threw like a trash bin at Neil Ruddock's head or anything? <laughs> I don't think there is. I mean, I can't think of too many sort of funny ones. Can you? I can't think of... No, I can well, think the, of the, 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 the tragic stories when John Barnes got thrown a banana. And of course. Horrendous, not. horrendous stories when you think of them. I can't think of too many funny ones off the top right. of my head. The classic one was the pig's head thrown at Luis Figo yes. many, many years that ago. That was, you know, watching on as a youngster, that was like... Oh, and you try and get like a try and get like a feeling of what it means like to the to the two clubs. You go, oh, that's that's another level. As a youngster, I think that was in two thousand one. Well, I'd have been uh, seventy one. What I'd have been 20, 21, 22, something like that. Okay, Sorry. so youngster in football. In yeah, exactly. Yeah, Julian Rylison joins Borussia Dortmund from Unio Berlin. Gab, is he just cover from Thomas Mounier after the Belgian Belgian got injured? I think he's. Partly that I think he's more than that though because he's um, he's a he's a versatile player. He can mm. he can play centre back uh, in a, in a three certainly maybe even in a two and obviously uh, he can he can play right back. Um, I think it's a blow for for Union uh, Berlin mm -hmm. uh, and he adds depth and look, Borussia Dortmund have been such a shambles especially defensively for 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 so long. Getting an extra option in there I think is a good one. I think it's also. You know, with Guerrero on the other side, there's going to be a lot of situations yeah. where you're you're better off not having two attacking guys. Maybe you have, you know, one fullback who can defend mm. and, you know, let Guerrero rampage. Police have charged a 35-year-old man for kicking Aaron Ramsdale at the end of the North London Derby last Sunday. Don, I'm guessing this man will only be watching football on TV from now on. Good. Absolutely good. I mean, you've got no right to be on a football pitch. You've got no right to show violence towards anyone, I think, in general. Um, so in terms of a ban for someone that wants to go and watch football, um, feels right to me. Um, hey, this guy must be a real rocket scientist too, because if you see the video, I mean, I, I think we can laugh about it because it nobody was hurt. Exactly. But you see him come down, jumps onto the thing, kicks him, and then you see him trying to like, Sneak up to like go, to, to yeah. go back out, like oh, as if there aren't a million cameras yeah. and a million people. To and his scarf was just sort of down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he looked like that that English pop star. It did. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, forget which, uh, I forget the name. 
horrendous. Uh, talking of horrendous, Gab, uh, former Crawley Town manager John Yems has received an 18-month ban after an independent panel uh, convened by the FA to uphold 12 of the 16 charges against him. Yems has made a series of offensive remarks relating to ethnic origin, race, nationality, religion and gender towards his players. The FA aren't happy with this. Yeah, so look, I, you can go and Google the, the, the sort of stuff that he said, but he said it to his players and it was always like, oh, I'm joking, it's it's banter. It's not. It, it, this stuff was, was pretty offensive it's and, horrendous. and inappropriate. Point some players even said that, you know, they wanted to leave the club or felt that it's really See, that, affected that, that's, their career. There's so many sad parts about this, Gab. But I was thinking about those young players that got offended and we've lost probably loads of talented young players from the game that probably think I'm done with football. If this is how it is, I'm completely done. And then even in the future, these guys grow up and be fathers and they've got their sons who want to get into football. They might turn around and go, no, football's horrendous. Stay away from it. It's a tragic story. I, I, I think it is. And, you know, use the term offended. I, I'd go beyond that. I, I, I think when, when people talk about this and say, oh, but it's, it's joking, develop a no. thick skin. Uh, I don't think it works about that. It just makes you aware that you're different, right? If I'm cracking jokes that might have been innocent 20 years ago, mm. right, in, in, in dressing rooms, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're roughly the same age, we yeah. know the reality yeah. of it. Um, you and I, ab- about, ab- about race, about, you know, the size of somebody's manhood and stuff, you and I don't deal with it because no. we're Caucasian, yeah. right? I, people don't make jokes about Caucasians. I don't know, maybe they do but in you've Zimbabwe. Have, but, you, but you've got to have but, a but, moral... but what I'm saying is, no, no, but you are reminded that you are different. Mm. And that's not acceptable. In, it's not acceptable yeah. in society, but it's not acceptable, even especially in the context of a team, yeah. where you're supposed to be a team, right? But, but when you're young, you say, you say some dumb things when you're young because you don't know the world. This and man's you don't not know, young. None of this is what I'm saying. So when you get to a certain age, surely you've got a moral compass to realise exactly what's the right thing to say, the wrong thing to say, and what's actually damaging. Yeah. Uh, it's, so the... He had 16 charges against him. One he admitted, the other ones he contested. He was found guilty on 12 of the 16 charges. Now, what's upset a lot of people is that um, the panel came out and said, look, he's not a sent. I'm paraphrasing here. Please, lawyers, don't get, you know, don't get all bent up over this. But basically said, like, he's not fundamentally racist. He's just said these racist offensive things. That's kind of the panel's, in the panel's conclusion. And the panel banned him for 18 months. Now, mm. the FA are unhappy about this and reportedly they're, they're, they're studying, they're looking to see is there a legal angle where we can get him banned even longer. longer yeah. I have a little bit of an issue with this, which is basically has to do with essentially double jeopardy. If you, the FA, right, you become aware of this case, mm. you charge the guy, mm. you decide, okay, we're going to appoint an independent panel. We're going to choose. Right. We're going to lay down the guidelines for this independent panel, mm. I think you kind of, even though you and I might feel that he should be banned for life, and by yeah. the way, I think he's 63 years old, 18 months, I don't think anybody's ever going to give this guy a job in football ever mm. again. But I kind of feel if you're the FA, like, that was the process. What are you doing now? Like, but am I, am, I, am I being naive? Because you mentioned the independent panel. So am I being naive where surely the FA have got no control over that independent panel? So the FA wanted him banned for, say, 10 years, but the panel's gone whatever it is, 18 months. Well, no, the, the, the way it works is the, the FA picks three people, I think it's three people, however many people it is, to sit on the panel. And they say- That panel's independent. It's independent in the sense that that panel, once they take over, the panel do the inquiry, right? right? They, they listen to the evidence yeah. and they decide 
whether he's innocent or guilty. And if he's guilty, they they decide on on the sentencing form what the punishment should be. Mm-hmm. The FA isn't involved in that part of it, right? I mean, that's how the FA yeah. and they do this because it's it's considered to be fair, right? So the mm-hmm. FA make the rules, yeah. but then they're not the ones who go and decide who's who's guilty or innocent. If, if you see what I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think actually generally makes sense. It's how mm-hmm. a lot of it's, it's it's how a lot of organizations deal with things. I don't know. It just doesn't sit very well with me. Like, you've had your trial. If you don't like it, if there's a system for you to appeal against the findings of your own independent panel, fine. It just seems posturing. You've made an example of him. I know he's come out today. I think he's speaking in the radio now as, as, we're, as we're recording this about how he maybe feels he's been unfairly treated or whatever. I don't really care about this guy. I know I'm never going to see him again. I think mm-hmm. it's good. I think this has received enough publicity that people know that you know you have to be respectful, especially if you're a manager, if you're if you're a leader of, of, of men, of young men as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I'm sure Crawley Town are very happy to see the back of him and, and mm-hmm. see the back of this case. Calls for a semi-automatic offside to be introduced straight away in Spain, like uh, like they've done in the Champions League yep. and the World Cup. Uh, this is after the linesman and the VAR missed a very obvious call in Cadiz versus Elche, allowing Elche's Ezequiel Ponce to get a late equalizer in the 81st minute. Uh, if you haven't seen this, check it out online because it just blows my mind. I mean, you, unless you know you were you 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 were maybe scrolling through Snapchat or something <laughs> uh, and not watching the game, I don't see how you could have missed this. Um, now, Elche are last in the table. They haven't won a mm-hmm. game all season. They have like five points. Uh, so it doesn't really matter to them. But Cadiz are in a legitimate um, relegation fight. I think there's something like seven teams sort of within two points of them. Um, and there's serious consequences here. Those two points make all the difference. Mm. So they've asked for the last nine minutes of the game to be replayed. Oh, Is this a murky. fair solution or does this set a bad precedent? Ah, it's murky. It's murky. How how many other teams would look at something and say, well, we want our second half replayed or we want a full game replayed? It's very murky to me. I mean, the head of the referees has, has apologized. I mean, what are we talking here, Gal? Because I've not seen it. Is he like literally miles offside? Oh, he's, well, he's, he is, he's miles offside. It's not just that. He's miles offside. And you can't even argue that it's a rational situation because and the referee, he's coming back towards the goal and he plays the ball. And referee's not seen it. VAR's not seen it. I, I suspect the referee did see it. Um, I mean, could, could not see him play the ball. But yeah, maybe yeah. the referee, you know, the angle didn't realize it was offside. But even he's a good five or ten meters offside when the, when the pass is played. I mean, this is, it's a really bad situation. They can't replay the get the the nine minutes so surely. I think it opens up a can of worms. They they, they admitted their mistake. I don't know where you stop with that. That's the thing. I I think, in general, I think they would only consider doing that if it's something like equipment fails or if it's a technical yeah, error yeah. or somebody sends on five subs or by mistake or, or sorry six subs. <laughs> Flood, <laughs> life. Flood life failure. Yeah, if it's something like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I just I just feel for them. Because, you know, there's money at stake, there's contracts at stake, mm. there, there's a lot at stake here. Uh, so Paris Saint-Germain are reportedly being paid $10 million to play an all-star game to help celebrate Ronaldo's debut. Money well spent, Gab? They're playing the Riyadh All-Stars, right. which is a combination of Al Nasser and Al Halal. The mm. great rivals are teaming up to face the mighty Paris Saint-Germain, and they're getting paid $10 million for this. Um, I wouldn't 
pay Paris Saint-Germain $10 million just to, this game kicks off in a few hours, we record this just so I can yeah. have Messi v. Ronaldo one last time and yeah. see how you get a return on your investment. However, that said, and I'm writing a column about this, weirdly, people are going to watch it. Well, not just that, in terms of media attention, this game, the Riyadh All-Stars against, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, even though it's just, a, just an exhibition, mm -hmm. It's probably going to draw more media attention That's than the last I mean. two games they played here, which were the so, Italian Super Cup and the freaking Classico Spanish so, Super Cup. So the answer is it's 10 million well spent. If you can turn that 10 million into, into, into <laughs> revenue at the other end, uh, certainly. Um, I, I, I think the whole thing is, is pretty bizarre. Maybe it's a, it's, it's a sign of the times. And I also wonder about the pitch. Mm. I mean, they played there, they will have played there less than 24 hours yeah. before. Yeah. I mean, are pitches today so good that it doesn't make a difference? They might, God, there might be anything. There might be, a, there might be a pitch on the outside that they roll in. There might be all sorts of, you know, technologies like that. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm not. I'm not so sure because it's not, you know, it's not a legit game that means anything. The players are going to moan about the pitch. Are you going to watch? Absolutely, I'll watch. Okay, but here's the thing. I think it's pay per view in this country. I think you. I'm not watching them. Three pounds. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you have it. Don, did you watch Liverpool versus Wolves on I the did. BBC? I did. And what did you hear during the pre-game build-up? <laughs> We've all been done, though, haven't we? Uh, We've yeah, all okay. been so done. So let me just explain this for those who uh, who don't know. Who've been on Mars. Who, what, what happened, or, yeah. or don't live in England. Okay. Um, but the, uh, uh, as sort of Gary Lineker is a presenter of the pre-game show, they have talking heads, they have Danny Murphy and, and Paul Ince. Poor Danny Murphy. Can imagine what a party that is. Um, and all of a sudden, as they're talking, you hear this moaning, yeah. which I'm told, not that I would know what it sounds like, sounds like porn in the mouth. Yeah, a, a woman enjoying herself, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I know people were flabbergasted. What was that? I was, media. I was like one of them. I had, I had my hands like like yeah. one of them, like because I've been done myself. I'm on a WhatsApp group. Um, Viv Anderson, uh, George Boatang, there's loads of us. Mickey Gray, there's loads of us. And we've got Kevin Gallon, who literally sends you one of them every single day. It'll say, breaking news, Liverpool have signed. You open it up in a busy coffee shop and then all of a sudden, oh, all the moaning goes off. You're like, oh, your phone trying to get it. So we've see all how, been done. You see how even at this age, footballers remain incredibly uh, immature. But to be fair, they took it in good spirits. They, they made a joke about it. It's, it's, it's a guy, it's a prankster named uh, uh, Daniel Jarvis, a.k.a. Jarvo and stuff, who's new to this. It's not one. his first time though, is it? No, but he was clever in how he did it, by the way. He didn't like break into the BBC mainframe streaming computer. Yeah. It was very old school. He simply, he got an old, Nokia phone of some kind. Yeah. He turned the porn sounds into a ringtone. Clever. He taped it to the back Even of the Even on a Nokia, or... like, Series 1 or something, you can do that. Apparently, you can do that. So I'm not going to want to give anybody any ideas. And then he just kept calling it while it was on air, it was, so it would make those noises. My my Brilliant. twins were in, and they were on the iPad, and my girlfriend was cutting out. She was going, make it stop, make it stop. I was going, I don't know how. It must be Danny Murphy's. It must be. <laughs> must be Danny. Poor Danny. We can't because we love him. <laughs> uh, so Lionel Messi got a special tribute in Argentina, Gab. Yeah, so... Basically, you know those sometimes you see those crop circles, yes. uh, which oh. are visible from the air. Yes, and you know some look so cool. People think, oh, we're, we're the aliens. Yeah, yeah, them, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. This is guy's not an alien. He's a farmer, but it's really cool if you see pictures of this. Yeah, he basically made Messi's face into his crops. I don't know how you seeds do that. or something. I think it was yeah. out of seeds. I think it's 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 pretty remarkable. Go check it out. And I think it's fair to say they love Messi. Incredible. These days. All right, Don, that brings us to an end. But thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us. Jules is going to be back on Monday after his Parisian uh, adventure. Until then, love the game. 
Uh, love your neighbor. Love yourself. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 